what what did you like about the experience? And maybe ask them several times along the way so you get real-time feedback, not in the moment, just not end of the experience feedback. Um, because you want to know if you're doing a good job. If you've got a buying cycle that's long and there's different pieces that go into place, um, you know, we'd like to find out if we're doing a good job along the way. And we're not finding out if we're doing a good job just so we can get closer to the sale. We're finding out if we're doing a good job so that in the future, we're doing a good job for everybody if, if there's opportunity to improve. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Shep Hyken. Now, Shep is one of the leading customer service and customer experience experts in the world. Well-known keynote speaker, author of multiple New York Times best-selling books, including his latest titled, I'll Be Back, How to Get Customers to Come Back Again and Again. And in our conversation today, Shep and I are talking about the importance of that customer experience and how that experience your customer has with you starts with you, the salesperson. Shep shares what he calls moments of truth, you know, why every contact you have with a customer is an opportunity to create a favorable impression or conversely, a negative impression if you're not intentional about creating the favorable impression. We talk about why for those very reasons it's so critical for sellers to operate with intent about every interaction they have with a the buyer, but every impression they're creating in the minds of their buyers. We also dive into how to operationalize these moments of magic. Now we get into all of this and much, much more, but before we get to ship, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And I also want you to remind you, want to remind you to check out my latest book, Sell Without Selling Out. It's a modern human-centric framework for increasing your win rates and shortening decision cycles without resorting to using the sales behaviors that our buyers hate. It's available everywhere you shop for books, online, and in stores. Okay, let's jump into it with Shep. Shep, welcome back to the show. I'm excited to be here. Uh, I love being back. <laughs> Hence the name of my most recent book, I'll Be Back. I'll Be Back. Well, tell us about that book. What, uh, what's the theme of it? Well, it's how to get customers. The subtitle is exactly what it's all about, how to get customers yeah. to come back again and again. And uh, right. little did I know when I was starting to write the book, uh, I started it before the pandemic. It came out just um, last October. We delayed the release mm -hmm. thinking, you know, we needed to do that because, I don't know, it was just a weird time to be releasing a book. Right. So we did that. But the, the title, I'll Be Back, kind of signals like customers will come back. But you know what? We're back. You know, it's time for us to get back and do things right. Now, that's not the theme of the book because everything I do is about service and experience. And everybody thinks, well, is it right. about Arnold Schwarzenegger? And the answer to that is no. It's not. I mentioned him because after about three sentences into starting my outline, I thought, who made these words famous? But the great Arnold Schwarzenegger in back. The Terminator. Yeah, great Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, Arnie, so, if you are watching this show, Please, I still would love or an listening, endorsement. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you ask him for one? Oh, many times I tried. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I did. I did. I thought that would yeah. be a fun, a fun one. But you know what? So I actually came up with yeah. like uh, there's a, a chapter that says you're terminated. Why customers would decide they don't want to do business with you anymore? <laughs> and uh, I talk about the Arnie, which is when the customer says, "I'll be back." <laughs> 
but for not the same reason. And do they ever remember in the first Terminator? You know, uh, Arnold had the you know he was he was not a good Terminator. He was a bad guy, right? And he was in the police station, and he goes, "I'll be back." And he came back, and he blew apart the police station. (laughs) It's just a movie. So, well, let's. It's just a movie. Well, I want to dig in this this idea of customer experience because, um, you know, there's been a lot more written recently about the importance of the buying experience. So let's let's talk about sort of the the pre-customer experience. Okay. And the pre-purchase and experience. Obviously, that's of interest to or, or, or pre-purchase now, let's, experience, so right? Let's, let's let's make sure our definitions are clear. To me, customer service doesn't sure. happen after the sale. It happens throughout the entire process and the journey that the customer has. Every interaction they have, if the customer's yep. in the process of buying and the Features. salesperson is rude or offensive, somebody might not say, oh, that was a rude service person, they, or a salesperson, they might say, that was just bad service, you know, a bad experience. Bad service, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Great point. So what I'm doing, I'm pinpointing this, you know, the experience with the individual seller right. through their buying process. Mm-hmm. Selling uh, with service. And there's, yeah, yeah. I mean, and Gartner and others have done some, you know, research on this and said, and I think Challenger did as well, saying, hey, you know, the, in excess of 50% of the customer's purchase decision is based on their experience with the individual seller during that part of the the buying journey. Mm-hmm. And I think you sort of answered, answered my question is, is, yeah, to me, that's, I agree. I think that's all part of the customer experience. It is, and, and so for many, many years, probably decades, I've been talking about, especially because I do so much work with sales organizations. I'll be hired to be the speaker at a sales meeting mm-hmm. and, and they're not interested in hearing right. about what a lot of people think customer service is, is, which is what happens when the experience goes bad. That's what they think it is. I believe customer service is not a department. It's a philosophy. It's part of everybody's job, right. whether it be an internal customer or external. But for a salesperson, the salesperson's job is to build a relationship to create an experience that makes the customer say, hey, I want to do business with you. And that could be first time, second time, or the 10th mm-hmm. time. Uh, but the goal is let's create exactly. that experience. Ideally, right. when we do it again and again and again, it bulletproofs us from our competition. The right experience will make uh, somebody say, why would I want to do business with anyone else? Well, so that, well, that raises a, a question, which is that, in my experience, a relatively small percentage of companies really make an effort to understand what I call that part of the customer service experience, what I call the buying experience, mm-hmm. really understand what the buyer th- thinks about it, right? I mean, even to the point where, you know, I'll talk to sales leaders, they're getting ready to, you know, putting job descriptions to hire sellers, and I'll say, you know, you've got these various attributes you're you're looking for, but these are all about you. Have you asked your buyer what they need your salespeople to be? Yeah, so that there is where you start to really uh, create this uh, merging of two things, sales techniques and experience or service techniques when they when they go together. You want to understand, uh, you know, what your customer wants. Uh, and they, uh, I, and I, I may be reading wrong into your question, but let me give you an example that it's a little bit outside of this, uh, but I think it makes, makes the sure. point. 
Sure. When customers want to buy something, depending on what it is, many of them are not interested in the details. If, if I'm buying a, a trip to Hawaii and you tell me, oh, uh, we, we have a chartered plane, and by the way, it's got four jets, they're all X horsepower that fuel we you know 400 uh, gallons per right. who cares about that what we're interested in is the destination not the journey and many times we're mm -hmm. marred at the beginning of we're so excited sometimes as salespeople about what we sell and we're really into it that we think that's important and i think it will eventually become important but selling the destination prior to the journey is probably a better step in doing so if you try to do something outside of that you you tend to taint the journey. Yeah. Well, and that's, again, I think that there's this, again, based on research and my own experiences, that there's been this, yeah, growing on the part of the buyer, this growing sense of importance about that journey. Mm -hmm. And, you know, given, especially in a lot of the fields that, that people are selling in these days, you know, certain, certain software fields and so on, so much competition that the actual differences between the products as perceived by the buyer, you know, razor thin, right? Yeah. So, so what, what becomes the tiebreaker? Right. It's, yeah. It's and, that's, and the tiebreaker becomes their experience, right? Their experience. And yeah, the service experience through the buying journey. Yes. So let me share with you some statistics from our annual study that we do. It's the achieving customer amazement study it came out just a few months ago. Um, okay. 78%. So this is general. Uh, but I'm going to get to a stat that's really good. 78% of the more than 1,000 consumers that we studied said they go out of their way to do business with a company that has better customer service. And many of the people we interviewed defined customer service as something beyond I'm calling the customer support department, although a lot of our questions were about that. Um, here is a most important stat. 83% uh -huh. trust a company or brand if they provide an excellent customer experience. 80, so they trust you uh -huh. more. You know the old expression, people want to do business with people that they know, like, and trust, right? Know, like, and trust, trust, yeah, and right? And the trust part is yeah. really the hardest part. Knowing and liking is easy. It looks like a good company, seems like a fine person. Maybe they're friendly, maybe they're jovial, maybe they're attentive, but do we trust them? And the way to make it happen is, is um, a continuous or, or consistent and predictable experience they have. Uh, whenever I talk to my mm -hmm. salesperson, they are so knowledgeable. Knowledgeable doesn't mean you know everything about what you sell. You don't have to. But you, and so you're going, wait a minute, you don't have to know everything about what you sell? No. But you need to know where to go to get the information <laughs> no. so you can communicate it back to the customer. It's really, you know, people don't like saying, right. that's a great question. I don't have the answer. But how about if you said it this way? That's a great question. I want to get you the right answer. I need to do a tiny bit of research to make that happen. Can I call you back? When is convenient mm -hmm. for you later today? You available in, say, an hour or so? You are? Great. Uh, I'll call you back at mm -hmm. you know, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, whatever time it is, an hour from now. Uh, and, and you do. Right, right on time with the answer, and your customers will say, wow, I'm impressed. Nobody's going to say, I'm not impressed that you didn't have the answer and had to call me back. No, the way you position it and the experience you gave them, you found the information, 
you kept your promise, and that just ratchets up the trust meter just the tiniest little bit. And when that happens consistently and predictably, where customers can say, they always call me back when they say they're going to call me back. They're always knowledgeable. They always take care of me. You can fill in the blank, however that is. The word always followed by something positive is really what you're going after. Yeah, and I think a great point because you know in the buying journey, we're just talking from the seller's perspective, is there are invariably one or more opportunities to be have that service orientation, to be incredibly responsive and completely responsive to the questions mm-hmm. to, to the point you said is, yeah, uh, let me get back to you. I'm going to have this at X time. You make a commitment. You live up to the commitments. Uh, credibility building, trust building. And you, I, I always take perspective of that. I want to look for those moments when I'm selling because I want to be able to demonstrate what that experience is going to be like to work with me and thus by extrapolation, what's going to be like to work with my company. So you bring up a really important point. You said, I want to look for those opportunities, find those places. I, I, I think that was close to what you said. So what we try to teach when we mm-hmm. do yeah. speeches yeah. or when I do a speech or when my trainers go out and deliver our customer service <laughs> training, and a lot of times we're talking to salespeople. So this is what we're looking for, service sensitivity or service awareness. We want people to recognize the opportunities they have to create that positive experience. So one of the things I talk about, and it's foundational to almost all of my concepts, is a, a, progr- or a concept that was mm-hmm. developed by a gentleman named Jan Carlson back in the early 1980s. And at the time, it was, it was timely. You make His that seem so long ago. Yeah, it does seem. It's like, I'm thinking that's close to like 40 years ago. Okay. His company was Scandinavian Airlines. He was brought in to be the president of a failing airline. And he turned it around by getting everybody, and I mean everybody, not just reservationists or ticket takers or whatever, but everybody in the airline to manage what he called the moment of truth. And he defined it as whenever a customer comes into contact, his customer, of course, is a passenger. Whenever that customer comes into contact, they have an opportunity Mm -hmm. to form an impression, however remote that contact or interaction is. Mm -hmm. So he said they can be good and bad. And I took it a step further. I said they can be good, bad, or they can be indifferent, average, satisfactory, fine, if you will. And I actually gave each one of these moments of truth names. The bad ones I refer to as moments of misery. Uh, that can be a complaint, the problem, just a negative experience, an apathetic salesperson, uh, somebody that might be rude, mm-hmm. a non-responsive. Then you can have average, satisfactory, fine. I use the word fine because how is everything? It's fine. Fine doesn't mean fine. Fine right. means it's not great. It's fine, that's right. what fine means. You know, unless you put an adjective right. in front of it. Exactly. Like, hey, that's a mighty fine haircut. <laughs> That's good. But otherwise, fine is like, you know, insincere feedback is what it is. And then you've got something more. And by the way, I refer to that as a moment of mediocrity. So we got misery, mediocrity. What's next is a moment Mm -hmm. of magic. And that's a positive experience. However small or big, doesn't matter. It's anything better than average. And most companies Mm -hmm. don't create over-the-top examples of this. They just consistently do things right. They always call you back. They're always knowledgeable. They're always helpful. They're always, you know, again, I use that. I talked about a moment ago, always followed by something positive. So we try to manage the moment of truth and we create ideally a moment of magic for a salesperson, what we want them to do. And this is an exercise that we teach our, our clients. And we use this in our workshop. We want you to think of a time Mm -hmm. that you created a positive experience for one of your customers. 
many times it's I sent an mm-hmm. email back within an hour and they were impressed. I called them back within 20 minutes. They were blown away. Those aren't big deals, but those are the kinds of things that move you a step forward to that trust that you want with your relationship. And then, as I mentioned, you can go over the top with things if you wanted to, but that's when you have problems and they fall in your lap. The point I'm trying to make with this exercise is it shouldn't be done looking in the past. What we should do once we've done it that first time, here's an example, what I want you to do, think of a time. Well, Mm -hmm. now I want you to do again. Over the next week, I want you to recognize a time that you're treating that customer with the respect, dignity, mm-hmm. better service you know, experience that you want them to have. Next week at our team meeting, I want all of you to put them on a little index card, no more than two or three sentences. You are not writing a novel. This little exercise shouldn't take you more than two minutes. And we're going to talk about three or four of them. I want you to come. Everybody prepared. You don't know who I'm going to call on. And you do this every week. Ask mm-hmm. people to recognize when you've created the experience. Here's what happens. People will wait till one minute before the meeting going, oh, my God, I've got this exercise to do. And they say, well, now, when was I nice to somebody in the, in the last week? And they have this brain pain. And right. it's a shame. Right. So what they learn very quickly is it's not worth the pain. And then they'll say, oh, this is a great example. I'll write that one down. I'm going to use it for next week. And then there are the overachievers who say, this is a great example, but I've got five more days to find an even better example. But regardless, what's happening is people are becoming aware of the moments that they create that positive experience. And the goal of Mm -hmm. this exercise is to create the awareness of that experience and recognize all the opportunities you have to make it right, which also gives you insight as to all the opportunities where you can potentially blow it. So... That is a simple exercise, and I tell you this. Right. As simple as it sounds. I love it. It's the number one most uh, positive exercise we do in the biggest culture-changing exercise. When we get our clients, especially ones that are struggling to create a good experience, to get involved with this exercise and Mm -hmm. do it on a regular basis, they see the biggest shift in people recognizing the opportunities to create a better experience for their customers. No, I love it. I mean, I've, I'm a. I've written about this in one of my books. Uh, the big believer in what Daniel Kahneman called the the peak end rule. Oh, if you're right, familiar right. with peak, that, uh, where he said when there, people yeah. go through an experience, yeah, when they go through an experience and make a decision about that experience, is they basically factor two primary factors in the decision. One is the peak event in that experience, and the last event in that experience. Mm-hmm. And so this idea that you're talking about, which I advocate as well is is you can't predict in advance which of your interactions with a, a buyer are going to be the most memorable or the peak events for them therefore you need to act intentionally as if everyone each one of those has the opportunity to be the peak event right. and act accordingly and because one of them will be and how it ends by the way can i add one of them something? will be i i know you that don't it know. isn't yeah we don't know what because it's all in the customer's mind as to what their version of the peak experience is. But we do have some control over how we end that interaction to make sure that it's the interaction they want. So two thoughts are coming to mind. Number one is, is, is something, let's see if I gotta remember both of them now. But the first one is really important. I call this, you know, uh, I used to call it the loyalty question until I realized loyalty is really tied to an emotion. We want customers to come back. We want them to be loyal to us. But really, more important than true loyalty, at least 
well, true loyalty is probably ultimately the most important thing, but it, at a minimum, at least I want the customer to keep coming back. So I have this question. I used right. to call it the loyalty question. Now I call it the come back, the I'll be back question. And that is, what am I doing right now <laughs> be back. to make sure that that customer will come back the next time they need whatever it is that we sell? Okay. So this could be during the sale, right. after the sale. Love it. It doesn't matter. So that uh, every interaction that you have in every moment of the interaction, if you could be thinking of, you know, especially when there's a, an objection, there may be a point of contention. Let me make sure that what I'm doing is going to be good enough to get that customer to want to come back. By the way, if you do this enough times, the reason I do refer mm -hmm. to it as a loyalty question is loyalty isn't about the next time. It's about the next time every time. And, and if you do this enough time and they keep coming mm -hmm. back the next time, the next, it will ultimately become loyal. So anyway, that's, you know, ties into the peaks, but let's talk about the end. This is the second thing, right? Many times after we're finished making the sale, what happens? The company sends out the product or the sale is made, the, the customer receives, the company sends something else out that happens after the sale. What would that be? My question to you. It's not a trick question. I want to see if we're tracking in the same way. <laughs> <laughs> the invoice. <laughs> the invoice. Very okay. That would be good. Uh, so, and by the way, I want you to think about that. If yeah. that's the last thing that the customer receives from you, do you think that's the way you want it to end? Probably not. You want them to pay. No, but no. The invoice should no, just be yeah. part of the process. It's right. definitely not what you want them to remember. You know, when I do a speech, I used to say uh, right. to my clients, it's travel plus expenses. And then I would send them an invoice after it was finished and it had all these itemized expenses, meals, gas, rental car, et cetera, because those are all the expenses. And I thought, oh, my gosh, that's an ugly looking invoice. Why don't I send it and make it much easier? Why don't we, instead of charging for each individual expense, just do a flat rate for expenses? Sometimes I'll come out a little ahead. Sometimes mm -hmm. they'll come out a little ahead. But we figured out over right. the last couple of years what it was. And now we just say, here's my fee plus my travel buyout. And, you, of course, you take care of the hotel master bill. I don't know whether mm -hmm. they're going to stay at the Taj Mahal or at the uh, local Holiday Inn or the local suit, right. you know, uh Super 8, doesn't matter. We'll just master build a hotel. And then it just looks so much cleaner. And that was just a small little way to upgrade that one moment that ideally isn't the last moment. So, But here's what many companies do after the sale and even after the invoice. Right. They send a survey. Is the survey, and normally you would not even notice the survey, almost like you might not notice the invoice because it's so, supposed to be such a, a normal part of it, because the reason you wouldn't notice a survey if it was like, hey, real quick, on a scale of one to five or one to 10 or zero to 10, if it's net promoter score, what'd you think of this? And is there one way you right. can think it would improve? That's a short, like one minute survey. Nobody's going to blink their eyes on that. But right. some companies decide to send these 20 or 30 minute surveys to take longer than the sales call. <laughs> <laughs> and is that right. really the last moment you want your customer to remember about you? I don't think so. So there's your peak no, and your end. No, a couple I, of my I, thoughts on peak end. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, another thing I'd recommend for end, and I've <clears throat> been doing this for a long time, especially spent a lot of time selling really complex systems, is that I used to call this the most important sales call. And it would take place after you got the order. And what I'd do is have the seller, the rep, call the customer and say, yeah, hey, thanks for the order. I just want to review 
what it is you you purchased. And you take them through as this is what we understood your requirements were. This is why we you know, proposed what we did. Uh, you know, this is the rationale we kept for why you chose us. And this is what we're delivering. Because what I found is that when customers in competitive sales, yeah. yeah, is that the customer in a competitive sale, if they're talking to multiple vendors, what they do is they sort of cherry pick the best of all of them. And in their mind, they sort of thought that's what they bought. And oftentimes you get this confusion when you actually start delivering and implementing because, oh, I thought I was getting this or I thought I was getting that. It's like, you just reset the expectations mm. and bring yeah, people to sort of a real solid footing. So and you started that off onboarding in a great place with, yeah. with relationship. Yeah. Properly. It's onboarding. the first call of onboarding. Absolutely. Right, right. It's properly onboarding your customer. I just wrote an article, literally wrote this. It's coming out. Uh, it may be out by the time the show airs or not, but uh, it's the difference between good and great. And I, I was at a cocktail party mm -hmm. at a friend's birthday party, and I met this guy, and he, we were talking about customer service and experience, which is what I do. He goes, you know the difference between a good doctor and a great doctor? And I thought, I don't know, is this a joke? No, he said, the good doctor makes you better. <laughs> the great doctor makes you better and calls you the next day to make sure you're feeling okay. And I started thinking, wow, mm -hmm. if I had mm -hmm. a choice of two surgeons, would I want the most, um, the, the, the most skilled surgeon or do I want the nicest surgeon? <laughs> Obviously, I want a skilled surgeon. But why can't they also have a little bedside manner and be nice? And oftentimes, it's, that's, you give the customers exactly what they expect. I want a widget. I want a piece of software. And it does what it's supposed to do. Mm -hmm. But you need to wrap the experience around it. And that experience happens from along the entire journey. From the moment the customer lands on your website or is even doing any kind of research to think, this is a company mm -hmm. that I would want to consider, to the point where they're talking to people in the company, the salespeople, they receive their product, they get the after experience, which is the onboarding or partially what you and I are talking about. And the ideal situation is that after experience right. is one that, that confirms we made the right decision to do business with this company. Yeah, and I, <clears throat> I love that question the, the gentleman posed to you because, yeah, I, I up until 10 years ago, yeah, 12 years ago, I moved to New York and, and got a new you know, internal, <laughs> internal medicine physician. And he absolutely blew me away after my first appointment when he called a couple of days later just to follow up. How are you? Doing? And there was and nothing called. wrong with me. It was just, he, yeah, he called, just not up. even somebody in his office, which by the way, somebody in the office calling would be perfectly fine as well. Uh, that, that his office called me. Yeah. You know, this was him. Right. That just takes it to a whole nother level. Right. And I just, yeah. And I was like, <laughs> I heard telling my wife, cause she, she knew the physician, she works in the medical field. And I was like, um, he, he just called me <laughs> yeah. and I was like, what? But yeah, it was just expected, such an auto, you know, right. otherworldly experience. So here's a question. Yeah. Have you gone back to and that doctor? Sure. Yeah. And Oh yeah. When, I mean, up until I relocated back to California. Yeah. Okay. He was my so doctor. that makes sense why you wouldn't go there. But in other situations, did the doctor call and follow up or was it just that one time? Yeah. No, every time. I All mean, right. so what like they I, just did is they operationalized yeah. that moment of magic. 
the doctor did. And without even knowing that's what it is, that's yes. what we refer to it as. You operationalize a great experience. And which is why you want from feedback from your customers. I, again, I believe feedback should be, you know, as a survey should be very short, you know, one or two quantitative questions like on a scale of one to five or one to 10 or whatever. And then maybe one, can you give us one idea right. that would make it better? Can you give us an idea? You know, uh, it, there's different questions you can use. But when somebody says, or what's the one thing that stood out? I love that the doctor called me. That was just so amazing. And I wonder if you get if, if they're doing this with enough patients, if enough patients are saying that same thing, uh, because if they are, well, it should be for every patient at this point. And maybe the doctor can't call every patient, but somebody in the office surely can. And while it may not have quite as much impact, it still has more impact than not making the call at all. So perfect world, doc makes the call. Yeah. Good uh, option. At least somebody in the office makes it. <laughs> well, so a question about net promoter score. So I, 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 f I feel like there should be a net promoter score for the experience, the buyer's experience with the seller. Um, well, sure. Uh, so the buyer's experience it's with the seller. Decisive. It's decisive. And yeah. So that's what the net promoter score does. But On a so scale of zero to 10, what's the likelihood that you'd recommend us? Um, and the buyer is going to say a nine or a That's 10 more general. Right. But that's what the NPS question yeah. is. And then the follow-up question, and by the way, there are plenty of survey mechanisms uh, you know, that are available that will allow you to change the next question based on the answer they give you. So if somebody gives you a nine or a 10, which means you're a promoter, you might ask, is there one thing you can think of that would make it better next time you know, in the experience? If it's, um, you know, if you're right on the cusp, is it a seven or an eight, which is considered passive, and that means things were average, okay, satisfactory, if you will, fine, okay, is uh, when you, is there uh, something we could have done that would have bumped that number up by one? Like what would it have taken to move from an eight to a nine? instead of asking them for the one thing. It's a different way of asking it. You're going to get completely different answers. And if somebody gives mm, you a five mm -hmm. or a six, it's like, oh, wow, it looks like we didn't make you happy. We, you know, uh, it, there could be a, a question that's related right. to that. And so it, it's ideally, you want to be able to really get insights from your customers. And if you do this with 100 customers, 1,000 customers, even 10 customers, even though you get some crazy one-off idea, you should consider every idea. Is that something we'd like all of our customers to say? Why don't we do this for every customer? Obviously, we don't, but maybe we should. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can get all kinds of insights by asking <clears throat> that one extra question. Yeah, well, I'm thinking that I, I think it's a great idea. I mean, I, I'm trying to think this through as, as we're talking. Um, is because there's so many elements of the the buying experience. It could start with hey, you know, the sellers seems to be more concerned with their own interests than mine, right? Or mm -hmm. it could be product knowledge or product knowledge or customer knowledge or or whatever, right? the laundry list of things. Like yeah, I, I'm sort of, I really think it's, it's we're sort of past the time we should be surfacing, you know, these types of insights from buyers about their, like I said, specific experience with sellers. Right, um, so you want to ask them. That's the guy why getting the training decisions and enabled them, which is a, yeah. What what did you like yeah. about the experience? And maybe ask them several times along the way so you get real time feedback, not in the moment, just not end of the experience feedback. 
um, because you want to know if you're doing a good job. If you've got a buying cycle that's long and there's different pieces that go into to place, um, you know, we'd like to find out if we're doing a good job along the way. And we're not finding out if we're doing a good job just so we can get closer to the sale. We're finding out if we're doing a good job right. so that in the future we're doing a good job for everybody if, if there's opportunity to improve. Right. Oh, I like that. Okay. Got to think about that. Um, yeah, sort of along the same lines is, is I was uh, reading one of your blog posts about um, how you answer a question. And you said that, you know, next time somebody asks you a question you've been asked a thousand times, answer as if it's the first time you've been asked. Right. Which I know comes up in customer service. You, know, you might hear the same thing, but but it applies to salespeople as well. And I think it also applies to how you ask the question because unfortunately sellers have become so scripted they're asking the same question a thousand times and it sort of gets we communicated to the, to the buyer. We should be good enough and we should know our script so well that we can go off script and then we can come back into script. Um, I had a great opportunity to meet Jason Alexander who plays George on Seinfeld. And you don't know this yeah. about Jason. Yeah. Uh, but I, and you probably don't know this about me either. Uh, although you might, if you look around my office, you can see I've got a picture of David Copperfield you over here. You danced on Broadway? I, I did not dance on Broadway, and, and Jason Alexander did. But Jason also does an incredible magic show. And so I watched, and I'm a magician too. Oh, so I was at a magic okay. conference, very small conference, about sixty of us. Jason was there, hanging out, and he did his show, and his show was great. And he interacted with the audience. And I went up to him afterward, and I said. That was amazing. I just have to know how much of that show was scripted. I mean, you're a wonderful actor. You you do your lines. He said, Shep, right. 100% of it was scripted. And I know the script so well that when that guy over there decided to throw something at me, I broke script, interacted. It was funny. It was personal. It was customized. And then I got right back into my script. And I thought, wow, that, that's so brilliant. So mm -hmm. we need to know our material, our sales pitch, if you will, so well that we can go off script when the customer decides to ask a question that maybe no other customer has ever asked before or in, a, in a way that allows us to, you know, really get a little bit more information and insight from the customer so that we can do a better job of refining the rest of that pitch to meet their needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another uh, great point. And I was, uh, I know we're running short on time, is, is I loved another uh, post you'd written recently, because this plays to something I'm passionate about, is, is about, you know, when is it okay to call a customer honey? Oh, yeah. I mean, one of the posts <laughs> I, that I post, that's a great, great one, one of the posts I post um, reg regularly on, on LinkedIn, because it gets such interaction, is, is, you know, my pet peeves is when, talking to a salesperson, it's unfortunately, it's you know, typically always a male salesperson that's like buddy and pal, right? Uh, just the sort of false intimacy and familiarity. Yeah. Hey, buddy, I, hey, pal. Yeah, honey was sort of the same thing. Sort of yeah. interest in your take on that whole thing. Well, so there's appropriateness of, of it, and, and some of it's wrong. Um, you know, like, and, and by the way, that article you're referring to came as a result of a conversation. We were at a restaurant. I was with my wife and another couple. And the server who was still in high school referred to my wife as, I won't say uh, how old she is, but she's much older than the woman in high school. And, and she said, so honey, yes. what would you like? <laughs> and after she left, my friend uh, said to uh, my wife, 
how did you feel about when she called you honey? And she said, well, I'm not her honey. I'm his honey. And she pointed at me. Right. And I, right. Yeah. Now, and, and I, you know, of course, we're not going to uh, correct her, but that's the same as, hey, dear, hey, honey, hey, sweetie. You know, there's all basically here's the thing. It's not politically correct to do that. It's also a little bit um, a sign. I don't know if it's a sign of disrespect, but here's what happened. What you haven't read is the follow-up article to that, which should be coming out in the next week or so. I just shot a video on it today, and that mm -hmm. was that the the girl, uh, high school girl, who referred to my wife as honey was really not doing anything out of disrespect. It was her intention to give her a good experience and to maybe feel a little bit closer, and maybe it was a term of endearment. So unfortunately, a lot of people don't see it that way, and there needs to be training involved on how you should you know, refer to your customers. So this, uh, this gentleman who actually kind of precipitated me writing this article, one of our subscribers wrote in and said, I had a similar experience, but I understood the intent, and that was more important than perfection. Oh, great, tell me the story. He used to manage a jewelry store, and one of his, and it was a high-end mm -hmm. jewelry store, and one of his salespeople was very good was not, it did not exhibit proper use of the English language, which by the way, I'm guilty of that as well. And here I am a writer and a speaker and I still do that. Sure. And I go, what yeah. do you mean? And he said, Me too. He, uh, she ended her sentence with a preposition, but the way in which she did it was kind of where it's like, where do you want this shipped at or ship or, you know, something like that. She used the word at mm -hmm. and, uh, He's pulled her aside. He says, you know, I, I think you're great at what you do. I just want to kind of give you a little idea. You shouldn't end the sentence like that with a preposition. You should, you know, where would you like this shift? Question mark. It's just a different way. She goes, okay, don't end the sentence with a preposition. Next time out. So where would you like this ship that, sir? <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> just because you add the word the person, sir at the end of it didn't make it right. But you know what? He figured out that her intent was to take care of the customer. not And, and so he said, I'm still going to work with her. We're going to have training. But you know what? Intent is far better than perfection. Matter of fact, uh, I just, I'm, I'm getting ready to come out with that. And, you know, I, I include cartoons on every article that I write in my newsletter and my blog. And the mm -hmm. cartoon I came up with to exhibit this was uh, there's a, a young man on his knee proposing to this woman, getting ready to ask her to marry her, and he's got the ring out, and he says, I I I'm at a loss for words, but but I think you know what this means. And she said uh, something like, uh, I, I, what was the line I came up with? Uh, you don't even have to say it. I understand your intention, and the answer is yes. <laughs> so... <laughs> that was uh, there you go. that was the way, the way of exhibiting that that positive experience because the intent was there, not necessarily you know, and because people aren't perfect, and we got to recognize that. And as salespeople, we need to know there's nothing else that you remember here. It's like we're trying to manage every experience. You're never going to hit perfection, but you're going to try. So, like Vince no. Lombardi said about football, and I don't like to use sports analogies, but this could be tied to anything. You know, perfection is not reality, but it is the pursuit of perfection where excellence will be achieved. If we are always trying to do our mm -hmm. best, often we will be seen as excellent at what we do. Yeah, oh, I agree. I agree. I mean, my, my thing with the buddy and pal is just that it's, there is no intent behind it and it's just lazy. Um, so <laughs> that's where I draw the distinction in many of the, you know, sales people and so on. But anyway, um, Shep, 
fantastic to have you here. And if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Just go to hyken.com, H-Y-K-E-N.com. That's the easiest place. You'll find everything you want to know about me. Uh, you can download my research at no charge, and that will subscribe you to my weekly newsletter, which really is just a simple article. Great if you're a sales team to, I would say that a good majority of them, maybe not all of them, but a good number of them would be great to just have a conversation around at your next team meeting on a Monday or Tuesday morning. So I hope you uh, go to hiking.com and take advantage of that. Perfect. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I am so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank our guest today, Shep Hyken, for coming back on the show and sharing his insights about customer experience with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. <laughs>